0: Let me ask you to turn to Exodus 20. And while you're uh, turning there, just a reminder that following the service as you leave, as we do uh, traditionally after communion, uh, there will be ushers at the door where if you would like to give toward our Uh, benevolence, and what that means is helping people inside the church and in our community who have uh, needs, uh, you may do so. Uh, That's a traditional thing, following communion out of gratitude for how Christ has sacrificed for us, and uh, I wanted to remind you of that. In Galatians 5... We have the fruit of the Spirit. I know I just told you to turn to Exodus 20. It's okay. You heard me right. And we will focus especially on uh, the, the first commandment today. But we have the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. In addition to uh, the fruit of the Spirit, there you have what are called the works of the flesh. And there's a list of those works of the flesh. I want to read some of them to you. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. These are serious, aren't they? Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. It's not an exhaustive list, but that's quite a list. Now, right in the middle of that is jealousy. There in the list of the works of the flesh is jealousy and i think most of us would say yeah that's that's not a good quality in fact jealousy usually is an indication of of immature love you know early on there's insecurity there and we tend to think of that as being very negative the same word used for God. Now, I don't know anywhere in the Scripture, well, except one, where jealousy of a human is considered to be a positive thing. Here's, here's the one exception that I'm aware of in 2 Corinthians, Paul says he, he felt a divine Jealousy for God's people. So even in that, he wouldn't say, I'm jealous. He said, I'm, I'm feeling a jealousy like God feels for his people. So we see then in, for instance, Exodus 34, it says, you shall worship no other god for the Lord whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. He is jealous and his very name is jealous. How can that be a good thing? When on a human level, it's always portrayed as a bad thing. As a negative, as an immature thing? Well, it's because of his love for us. I'll just answer it. It's because of his great, perfect, perfectly mature love that he has for us that he is called the jealous one. Now that fits with all of the Ten Commandments, but it's illustrated in the first two. And we are doing a series over a period of months in the Ten Commandments every time we have the Lord's Supper. And today we want to focus upon that first commandment. Now when we uh, get to, and by the way, I'm I'm not going to read through that passage again in its entirety uh, because we read it earlier in our responsive reading. In terms of the the Ten Commandments, but when we look at our our church standards, our confession of faith, here's what it says when it when it gets to uh, the Ten Commandments. There are two aspects that it asks uh, questions about, and that is what is required by this commandment and what is forbidden in this commandment. So I'm going to kind of go at this one from that angle, what's required and what's forbidden. What is required? Well, God calls us to an undivided loyalty. You shall have no other God's before me. Now, that sets the tone for all the rest of the commandments. We'll just say that right up front. Right there, beginning with with saying, look, there's nothing else that uh, is permitted to be in same relationship with you as I am. And so he... Uh, focuses in in terms of first of all, how can we have that undivided loyalty the The first aspect we 've got to understand this is where it all begins, and that is to know him. Let me read to you from uh first chronicles twenty eight i 'll probably have it read before you can get there but you're you're welcome to first chronicles twenty eight verse nine It says this, you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart, with a a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he'll cast you off forever. Now, in terms of uh, the commands, this one has to do with the object of true worship, Uh, notice in what I just read to you, uh, Solomon's being told, uh, he wants to know, what am I to do? And what he is told is, know God. That's where it starts. That's where it must start to know him in an in-depth way. There is no secret to the Christian life. The Christian life is to know God. I don't know if I've told you this, but uh, I know President Obama. Have I ever told you that? Okay. Uh, I know his wife's name. Uh, I know he likes golf and basketball and uh, Marlboro Reds. I know that, uh, I I actually know where he lives. And, uh, well, you get the idea. I know him so well, I know his middle name, okay? Now, immediately, you're saying, you don't know him, because I know all those things, and I don't really know him. You just know about him. And you'd be right. And you're illustrating the difference and the danger. When it comes to God, we cannot, we must not be satisfied with knowing about him. It goes much further, much deeper and that is to know him in relationship. And the only way to know him in relationship is through Jesus Christ, trusting in him alone for eternal life. It is not sufficient to know about God. Just knowing about him Will provoke his jealousy. You don't want to provoke his jealousy. Here's the next step after knowing things about him in terms of undivided loyalty, and that's acknowledging him as our God. Deuteronomy 26, 16. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God. And that's the key. That you'll walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. Now, notice, I said acknowledge him as our God. There's a distinction between acknowledging Christ. You can say, look, I I believe... I believe that Jesus walked this earth. He was a historic figure. I believe that uh, he died on the cross for sin. I believe all those things. And that's good. That's where you start. But basically, as James says, you, you believe as much as the devil believes. He knows all those things. He understands those things. So it's it's going the next step an undivided loyalty because of a relationship with Christ and to not have that provokes his jealousy and then the the further thing that this requires is to worship him accordingly now, we're, we're going to talk about that in more depth next time with the next commandment. But we see, for instance, Jesus in his desert temptation. Matthew 4, verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. It's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. It's a quote from Deuteronomy. So the second commandment talks about how we are to worship. This one emphasizes worshiping him alone. Now let's talk about what's forbidden here. Because we see this, it it begins with knowing Christ. Well, if that's the case, what's forbidden is an inconsistent following. And, of course, that's going to be a denial of God. Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Now look, I don't, at this point, some of you are going to want to tune out because you're going you're to say, you know what? This isn't talking to me. I, I know God. I, I'm, I'm no atheist. By the way, I also know, because whenever you have a group this large, there are people here who would put themselves into that category of denying that there is a God or maybe saying, if there is a God, I don't, I don't know about him. And if you find yourself in that position, if you're here today and you say, you know what, I'm here, I'm kind of checking all this out, but I don't even know if there is a God. First of all, you need to know, I'm glad you're here. I'm really glad you're here, and I hope, you'll, I hope you'll not only stay through this service, but come back next week, and I hope that you'll watch us. I want you to look at us, not because we're perfect, because what you're going to see when, when you watch us, if you look closely enough, is you're going to see real people with real problems with real issues, we face the same thing that people who, who don't believe there's a God face. We face those things. And I want you to observe our real questions that we ask and, and even doubts that we may have. And I want you to watch because if you look closely enough, you'll see God working among us. And I hope that at some point you'll be able to acknowledge that's God. That there is a God, and, and I, I'd like that. I need that. But there's another group here. And that is those of you that, that would say, hey, yeah, I, I believe there's God. But if you looked at your life it wouldn't have a whole lot of effect on it. It's what I would call being a practical atheist. Not an atheist, but a practical atheist. Um, I remember uh, working with someone who lived uh, just an openly immoral life. She used language that would make a sailor blush. Sorry, sailors. I don't know why you got that rap. By the way, this was before I became a pastor. Just letting you know. It wasn't one of my secretaries or anything like that. And I remember us being on a break one day and all sitting around and imagine this. Uh, we started talking about religion. And, you know, everybody's talking about different things. I was just kind of sitting back, because they already called me the Rev, and I, you know, I didn't want to dominate conversation, that kind of thing. And, And she said something very positive about God. And one of her friends said, you don't really believe that. And this woman said, who are you to judge my relationship with the Lord? You know, when she said the Lord, it just kind of stung because it didn't make sense. It, It didn't fit because there was nothing in her life that evidenced that she had any relationship with Christ or even understood about a relationship with Christ. But evidently, she knew enough to believe there is a God. That's what I would call a practical atheist. And it breaks my heart when I see people in the church week after week, and they're living a life of a practical atheist. Maybe not the openly immoral or the Uh, language or anything like that, but when it comes to the trials in life, it's as if there is no God. And this commandment cautions against that. You don't want to provoke God's jealousy. Another thing that's forbidden by this is uh, the view that all gods are equal And by the way, that's politically correct, syncretism. You know, that that all gods are equal. You can be okay in your work. You can be popular enough if you're a, a Christian as long as you don't say, well, if you don't say what Jesus said, that he's the only way. That's when you'll become unpopular. Or if you say what Paul said, there is one God, there's one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. If you're willing to say all gods are equal and you know, just take your road to whatever God you want to believe in, that's okay with most people. But this commandment teaches exclusivity. And it's offensive to God to imply that all gods are equally worthy of praise or even equally worthy to be acknowledged. He says it clearly. Not to have any other gods before him. Now in terms of application here, we're about to go to the Lord's table in just a couple of minutes. And this is what, The Apostle Paul said when he was talking about the Lord's table, but let me couch in, in, in different terms today. Rather than saying what the Apostle Paul says, we always say under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to hear these words that you hear whenever we take the Lord's Supper. I want you to hear these as words from the God who calls himself the jealous one his name is jealous about his people he says this through paul i received from the lord this 1st corinthians 11 what i also delivered to you that the lord jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Listen to the jealous one. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And then he went on to say, that's why some of you are sick and dying. Because somehow you've made a mockery of this table and what this table means. And God, the jealous one, says, look, don't do that. And he loves us so much, he gives us this warning that you mustn't do that because there are very real consequences to provoking the jealousy of God. This command obviously speaks of idolatry as well. When I taught in India through the book of Jeremiah, I, I got to sections where it uh, forbid God's people from worshiping idols. And, you know, I had a classroom of uh, young Christians and and I said, okay, um, what are some of the idols we have? You know, I did kind of like you do here in the United States. What are some of the idols we have? And one of them raised their hand and said, you know, that's a big problem in here in India with Christians. And I said, okay, you know, talk. I, I thought I was going to, you know, we were going to say materialism and, you know, uh, you know, comfort and power and those kind of things. And they said, here's the problem is you can go into a Christian's house and go into a side room or a back room and you could see an altar with idols. <laughs> I said, oh, oh, you mean real idols, huh? And they said, yeah, that's a problem among us. Well, I have to say I've never seen that here in the United States when I've gone into Homes. I don't look in back rooms and closets, so don't worry, but that doesn't even concern me. What concerns me is we set them up right here, right here, okay? Right in our heart. You know, um, Tim Keller categorizes idolatry in three areas, comfort and security, affirmation and approval, control and power. And I think that's pretty good. That, that takes into account most of the things because looking at it that way is if you are seeking anything else for your comfort or security or your control or you're seeking power, if you're seeking anything else other than God, then you've you've just set up an idol right here. And that's a dangerous place to be. Jesus, like he did with Peter, would say to you and to me today, do you love me more than these? Whatever the these are. And you've got to look deep in your heart and say, what what are those things that would draw my love that rightfully only goes to the one who first loved me? What are those that I need to repent of even before I take communion today? And that's our calling. So that we will not be in the position of provoking God to jealousy. Let's bow together. Lord, even as we move toward this table, will you reveal whatever those these are, whatever it would be that would draw us away from having no other God before you, and help us to flee from that, to run from it, to deny it, because you first loved us and you're jealous for us as your children and your family.